Welcome to the Development Locker Podcast, the podcast designed specifically for aspiring academy football players and their development. I'm your host, Lee Wood, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this exciting journey. Whether you're a young talent dreaming of making it to the top, a dedicated coach looking for expert insights, or a parent seeking information into how to guide your son along their journey, this podcast is your ultimate resource for everything related to academy football. Each episode will bring you exclusive interviews with renowned coaches former academy players who have successfully made the transition to professional football and industry experts who will share their invaluable knowledge and tips to help you excel on and off the pitch. Over the next 48 episodes, we'll be diving deep into the mental and physical conditioning, the various aspects of player development, nutrition, injury prevention, and maintaining a balanced lifestyle to ensure you reach your full potential. We'll also discuss what to do when your dreams come to an end, whenever that may be, along the journey with insight from those who have gone through this part of the journey and come out the other side a better person. Also, we'll be joined by those who support people like you when and not if that day comes when football isn't the only dream you want to pursue. But it's not just about the technicalities of the game. We'll also explore the mindset and mentality required to thrive in a competitive world of academy football. We'll discuss the importance of resilience, self-belief and effective goal setting to help you overcome challenges and achieve your dreams. So, whether you're looking for guidance on improving your technical abilities, seeking advice on navigating the trials and tribulations of the academy system, or simply want to stay motivated and inspired, we're here to support you every step of the way. Get ready to learn, grow, and be inspired by the stories of those who have walked the same path you're on right now. Together, we'll unlock the secrets to success and help you gain that crucial edge in your academy journey, as well as prepare you for that alternative pathway. So grab your boots, put on your headphones and get ready to take your game to the next level. This is your podcast and I'm thrilled to have you join us as we bring you your interview from the locker. Stay tuned for our weekly episodes, which will bring you every Monday morning and we look forward to you joining us then. Welcome to the Development Locker Podcast, the show that takes you on a journey of self-discovery, personal growth and development. In today's episode, we take you into the world of career transitions, exploring a variety of job roles and shining a spotlight on the incredible professionals working in the National Health Service. The NHS is the heartbeat of healthcare in the United Kingdom. It's a vast, complex ecosystem with countless career opportunities. From doctors and nurses to administrators, researchers, and so much more. Whether you're considering a career change 
or simply curious about the diverse roles within the NHS, this episode is tailor-made for you. Over the next hour, we'll introduce you to some inspiring individuals who have successfully navigated their career transition. Venturing into a world of healthcare in roles they might never have imagined. We'll hear their stories, learn about the challenges they faced and discover the profound impact they're making on patient care and the healthcare system as a whole. So whether you're an aspiring healthcare professional, a seasonal veteran looking for a new challenge or simply someone intrigued by the inner workings of the NHS, you're in for a treat. Get ready to be inspired and enlightened by the incredible stories of those who have made the leap into the healthcare sector. Before we begin, don't forget to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode that could change your life for the better. And if you found value in our discussions today, share this episode with your friends, family and teammates so you can positively impact someone else's journey too. Welcome to this week's interview from The Locker. Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast and I say special and sometimes I say extra special this one's doubly special because we've got two guests for the price of one and um, I won't ruin the surprise but we'll come on to it in a minute and um, so we start off with the why and Maria to you I want to start off with the why in terms of why choose a career in the NHS because at the moment and maybe historically going back a few years especially with COVID the NHS seems to get a bit of a bad press, but from I know from the, the post that you put out and you're passionate about the work that you do, here's your chance to to sell the NHS as a viable career option for some of our listeners. Lovely. Thanks, Lee. So I suppose if in the NHS and across the whole of the health and social care sector, there are hundreds of different jobs. Some of these are working directly with the patients. But some of them are working indirectly, so still benefiting patients, but not face to face with them. And I think one of the main reasons of why you should choose to work in the NHS is that you get to support your community. So everybody's health is important to them. And by being involved in um, delivering that care, you get that sense of reward. So by background, I'm a, a musculoskeletal podiatrist. Um, and I've had such a rewarding career clinically, but also really inspiring. So getting to work with patients who have got injuries, who aren't being able to do the sports or activities or not the quality of life that they, they would like. Um, also working with children. So I've, I've had a lot of my clinical time working with children, children who can't walk or in towing, toe walking, born with developmental problems. So to be a part of that care and delivering that to them is is just such an amazing inspiring feeling so I think that's why many people choose a career in the NHS is is because of that reward but also it offers that kind of flexibility of working uh, working across lots of different environments um, the career progression it's not a static career um, and the training opportunities you can have within the NHS so you can continue learning to do you know, your master's or PhD or, or to become a doctor. So 
many, many different um, reasons why people choose a career in the NHS, I would say, Lee. Well, if that's your pitch, you've sold it, I'm in. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to take jobs away from some of our listeners and certainly not from, from Andres. And we'll come on to kind of your career now, Andres. And yeah. Why why did you choose to, to work in the career that you are? So tell us about the, the job role that you do and how you kind of came into the, the role that you're doing now. Where it was it for some of those reasons that you know Maria's kind of spelled out and, and, and listed many of or were the different reasons for you? Definitely, yeah. So um, obviously all my training was um, within the NHS in terms of my practical experience. Obviously, I studied at university and um, a big element of that was within the NHS and and getting my placements done in different areas. So whether that was outpatients, um, surgical, um, emergency, those sorts of things. So you do get a real sort of um, wide range of training. Um, I'm currently working for a private physiotherapy practice that's nationwide based in Bournemouth. Um, but funny enough, this this week I have accepted, well, a couple of weeks ago, accepted a position to start in the NHS where I've had a sort of change in some of my other commitments and the opportunity is, is there for me to start within the NHS, which obviously I'm really excited about. Um, but no, I think sort of expanding on kind of what Maria said there really, like for me it is that reason it is to impact people it was a big reason of why I'm a physiotherapist really so obviously people coming to see me or under my care that that they might have been in pain for like two weeks it might be two years do you know what I mean so it's it's really experiencing um those sorts of things that that I'm passionate about helping people um again Maria touched on like the learning element of it so obviously the human body is is so complex um we obviously do a lot of learning but patient very very rarely present like textbook do you know what I mean so to unpick sort of actually what's going on with people and um sort of elements of why they're in pain is is a challenge and and I like that challenge and I'm always going to be learning whether that's through the training that's been provided from say the NHS or my, my workplace or whether that's just through patient contact and getting used to seeing different conditions and how people tend to present um but yeah I think that would that would be the main reasons why um, I'm doing what I'm doing and I, and I chose this career. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned there about you, you're currently in private practice, but returning to the NHS, because I think a lot of people see them as two totally separate things, don't they? Like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I learned my trade or I did the training within yeah. the NHS, but yeah, now I'm off to private practice. I, I, yeah, I don't really do NHS stuff and, and vice versa. I'm sure, you know, Maria will be able to tell us loads of different examples and probably yourself, Andres, in terms of, you know, colleagues you work with who go, no, I absolutely love what the NHS stands for and all the things that Maria's listed, they just, they stay yeah. within the NHS and they don't go into private practice. So it's interesting you've kind of done both or, you know, about to return back into the NHS. Yeah, mine, mine was circumstance really, like I say, I wanted to um, at the time when I graduated, I was 28. I felt like I was in a really good period playing football um, at the sort of the highest level that that I could play. Um, so an NHS position wasn't suitable at that time. But then the last year or so, the football um, has taken a different direction, and the timing is right now for me to to obviously start working for the NHS in in a full time position. But like I say, I absolutely loved all the training that I had there, and. Um, um, yeah, it, was, it really did provide me with 
some good training in the early stages of my career. And speaking of football, you know, that's ultimately the majority of our listeners. And Maria, how how can academy players or young professionals even for for those lads who, you know, are still like, you know, Andrea said that, you know, football might be going absolutely fine at this moment, but they've got an idea of wanting to get into some of these medical um, positions. How do they start to pursue some of the various careers that are on offer through the NHS? Well, if an academy player is interested in becoming a health professional, I'd say the first step would be to uh, explore what career options there are. So there's many different resources that are freely available. So you've got like the NHS careers website. There's something called the WOW show. Um, and then we've got virtual work experience. And really, it will take people step by step through the different careers that are available within the health and social care setting but to really give them a better understanding of what professions interest them. So some of the professions might slightly overlap on, on, on how they manage and treat patients, but they ha also have some kind of unique elements about them. And normally it's then unique elements that will spark something inside you to think, yes, yes, I'm really interested in that. And that's what I'd like to, to do. So I think first of all, exploring all the different options there are out there for you. And then it's having a look at what qualifications you have. So if you're an academy player and you're doing your level three um, diploma or your extended diploma um, with A levels or A levels on top, it's having a look at what them uh, qualifications are and if you can access the um, training courses. And then it's looking at what kind of different training courses there are. So there's um, the traditional route that Andreas took and I took myself um, a direct entry university course so you can apply through UCAS. Um, and I know I put some things on social media about clearing is um, is open now um, so people can still apply to, to go to university this year if they want to. But sometimes university might, I don't know, might seem a bit daunting to some people. Um, so you've got, again, you can do apprenticeships so you can train and gain your qualification whilst earning a wage and being employed. Um, and there's lots of different levels of apprenticeships. You can do level three, five or, or six. Um, and again, that will depend on what qualifications you've got. So within the academy, it doesn't matter what qualification you've got. There's a stepping stone within the NHS and within health and social care that can help you kind of get to where you would like to get to in the future. So I think they're the kind of first few steps people need to look at, look at if they're interested. And not wanting to give away too many secrets of, of Andrea's career pathway and how he's got into the position that he is but Maria do you do you see it as a as a growing thing or is it more of a targeted approach by the NHS which which way is the balance is it more academy players young professionals are seeing a viable career within the NHS or is it the NHS who are recognizing that these young people have something to add to the to the health service in this country I think from my, my experience is um, I've definitely been um, the kind of the world of football and, and academy players is something actually quite new to me and only the last few years that we, we've been exploring. Um, but the academy players I've met so far, um, I can definitely see that the value they would add um, to the NHS. They've got the right kind of skills, um, transferable skills that we're looking for. Um, so I think it's more that way. I think it's more the NHS looking into our community and seeing these academy players thinking, actually, you know, you've got these skills already and actually you'll be brilliant members of the NHS team. 
would you agree andre did you know is that what kind of made it i'm assuming here a seamless transition from football into working within the the within the nhs rather than into your private practice now as a physiotherapist or you know with the challenges with the things that you know as a as a football player you thought ah oh, that'll be relatively easy i know the human body i've worked yeah. with you know i've been injured and all the rest of it generalisms and yeah or you know was it a smooth transition for you was it a difficult one what was your kind of pathway like no yeah it did surprise me a little bit I, I i agree with what you say there like i was pretty much that to be honest in terms of i'd had injuries and um periods of um my young professional career where i spent a lot of time not playing um so that is where i i suppose i did gain interest in um physiotherapy and i liked a lot of what people were doing with me and how they how they treated me and um their efforts with me so um i felt like i gained an interest through that um but yeah definitely it really did surprise me i think um i'd say i'd had my issues around the hips i thought i'd, I'd got a lot of information there but then obviously until you start studying um until you again get into that workplace and do your placements and in the different areas that that obviously you can work in within the nhs as a physio um is where yeah it, it is a bit of a shock to the system to be honest um i remember like on my first place and i was on orthopedics it was my first sort of like real experience to work to be honest with you like say i, I joined southampton at eight years old and i left at 21 um so i'd never worked like a bar job i've never worked um like any like any job like aside from football um so to to start doing something like that at, at 24 it was it definitely was a shock like even things like in the hospital like like where do you stand like were you like do you know what i mean it, it was really sort of new to me um but i needed to do it and it, it like i say i absolutely loved it and um by the end of even that was a four-week placement. By the end of that, I really felt more comfortable within a hospital. Um, and yeah, then I went into the second year with a bit more confidence. And obviously, I was able to to get a lot more from the, the other placements that were to follow. Now, be honest here, Andre. You, mm. You've had a foot in both camps now as a yeah. player, now as a physiotherapist. Yeah. Is it as easy as you thought it was? or do you have a an increased respect for what physiotherapists have to do uh yeah it's, it's tough to say <laughs> it is it's tough to say <laughs> i believe i'm sitting on the fence a little bit um but yeah i i, I do i do find it challenging like the, the clinical side of things like i i suppose is why i'm interested in this side of thing and like um transferable skills and things because i love that part of it like and i i Again, speaking for myself, I do find that is my skill and that, that is my strength is is impacting people and how I build rapport with people um, and how I make people feel. Even like I say, even if it's for half an hour and things like what, how can I make them leave like feeling a bit better about themselves? Um, but yeah, like look, the clinical learning is obviously a big part of the job as well, and I need I need to know that I need to I need to have clinical knowledge and what does the evidence say, and you've got to stay up up to date with that. Um, and that is definitely more of a challenge to me. So yeah, I suppose to answer to your question, I think yeah, probably do have a bit more respect for them now. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And um, Maria, going back to what what I was saying before about 
you know, whether you see a current trend for, um, you know, academy players and, and young professionals wanting to seek a career in in the NH. Is the any, you know, what do the numbers show? Is the uh, an increase? Is it predominantly physiotherapist? Is it split evenly across the many different careers within the NHS? Or do you feel that there's specific areas or specific career job roles that young players would be ideal for? At the moment, I'm not sure on what kind of the stats are on where um, academy players or, or players move to profession-wise within the NHS. I would presume that it would be physio, just because I think they're exposed to physiotherapists, uh, like you said, every day within their rehabilitation team. And just widely, most people, most of the general public would know what a physiotherapist was. Um, but I work for the Allied Health Professions team. So the Allied Health Professions, it's an umbrella term for 15 different professions. So I'm going to list them all because I know if I miss one out, um, somebody will say, oh, you've forgotten me. But we've got physios, <laughs> occupational therapists, podiatrists, paramedic, uh, prosthetists and orthotists dietitians, speech and language therapists, art, music and drama therapists, therapeutic radiographers, diagnostic radiographers, operating department practitioners, osteopaths and orthoptists. So quite a, a large number of professionals are all sitting under this umbrella term of, of AHPs. But it, that that is the group that I feel the, these young players um, would be ideal for because the lived experiences that they've gained whilst playing sport kind of them skills they've gained um, kind of match themselves perfectly to kind of assess a situation manage a situation think of a plan moving forward and I think it is them skills and I know Andreas you said about like um, understanding body and anatomy some of the young players we we've met um, when we've been going into some of the academies um they understand their anatomy and function because they've had injuries. So, you know, they, they know, you know, about some of the ligaments or tendons that have been damaged. They, they've done some rehabilitation and some strengthening exercises. So they're already aware of, of that type of the, of the body. Um, also, you know, they're working within a team. Um, so teamwork within the NHS is so important. Most of us will work across many different uh, multi-professionals um, to deliver patient care. But I think one of the main things is actually being able to work on your own as well. So to be able to make their own kind of judgments and understand what your what your strengths are, but also what your weaknesses are. And then who else in your team has got that strength so you can pass that on. Um, and it seems like quite a lot of them academy players already have them skills where maybe somebody of the similar age might not have gained them skills already. I'm not sure, Andreas, if, if you would if you would agree with some of them skills from your experiences. Yeah, I think um, you kind of said a couple of them there, which I, I think are really important in terms of um, that sort of like balance and like being reflective. Um, so if you think about like a football match, like the ups and downs of a football match, and then um, like I say, the rules saying football, like never getting like too high or too low and obviously to try and like stay in the moment and obviously to to try and achieve good result it's kind of the same as a physio obviously things in a physio session or things in a physio department won't always be absolutely perfect and obviously you can't let yourself go with that obviously you've got to stay balanced to try and obviously um, provide the best treatment to the person or um, whoever that might be and then obviously like reflective as well so at the end of a game like you look back and you'll you'll feel yourself obviously how you've done in a game 
but you'll probably review it with your team you'll probably review it with your coaches and be like okay look this didn't go so well let's do this this time and that is what exactly what happens in physio so you've always got obviously clinical edu educators when you're learning around obviously senior staff and they're always there to be, to be like you can say to them well what did you think of that like i did this um this didn't go so well like what do you think like what should i have done um and i think footballers because they have that um drive to be better because they have to be better like there's no there's no other way around it like you're not you're not going to play if if you haven't got drive to get better um and obviously stay like in front of other people that want to play in your position so that has to come across obviously in physio as well to provide good care to people and in terms of your journey then i mean we touched upon it before andreas in terms mm -hmm. of your pathway and you know i kind of put you on the spot really and you, mm. you sat on the fence you did very well of you know whether it was easy or whether it was hard but yeah there's a double-edged question what what kind of skill attribute characteristic from your football did you find the easiest to transfer into your current career and then the other side of the coin which bit did really just football didn't prepare you for a certain aspect of what you have to do on a daily basis in your career that other players who are listening to this probably would find equally as difficult to transition from one career into into being a physiotherapist yeah so the skills the skills i thought like i was quite comfortable with and i i was would like pride myself on were the things that like, i always felt within football there was a constant challenge um to impact people, so impact players, impact fans, um, impact staff to show that I should be playing and next week I should be playing as well. And like, but how would I do that? So that'd be like through my body language. So like when I go on a pitch, like what's my body language like? How do I communicate with people? Um, and how do I respond to mistakes? Like uh, if I make a mistake, am I there again to receive the ball, that sort of thing. And that's what I found like in physio that I could do straight away. So I found that if I was approaching a patient, like how do I approach them? Like what's my body language? Like how am I communicating to them? So if they're, if it's an older patient, if it's a younger patient, how do I um, like adjust my communication skills to so that I can get the better out of them? Like, and obviously listening is a big part obviously in physio as well. So, but I found all that came quite natural to me because it's just, I felt like football was good at that. I felt like it it really did give me like basics of things, so just being like being on time for things. And just I felt like that was something that came really natural. Um, the challenge is like, I think being in like elite sport is like, I think you're always like, I think you're quite hard on yourself. Um, and I, I, I'm always, I think I've always been quite hard on myself, overthink things. Um, so I think sometimes that, again, it's like not letting yourself get too down and things like that, or um, when things might not be as as you want them to be and just and how do you react to that? So um, I think that was the, the biggest challenge is sort of getting used to that and being comfortable with that. Um, but I think, again, through time, that's something that, that you get better at. Have you seen similar, Maria, in terms of some of the the athletes or footballers, to be specific, that you've supported, you've worked with, you've encouraged to to get within 
various career um, career roles within the NHS. Do you what have you seen that has been the most difficult challenge for football players or academy players transitioning into an, a career within the NHS? Have you seen ones that kind of are common or ones that stand out to mind? I think um, echoing a bit what Andrea said in the sense that quite a lot of people I've met, they are, um, I don't know if I should use the word a perfectionist, but they feel they have to be perfect. Um, and I think within um, most environments, but within the health environment is not not all situations are, are going to be perfect. Um, and sometimes it is coming to that compromise of, of what is what, what what is achievable. Um, so I think I think like you said, Andreas, I think they've got high expectations. Uh, what is it? What is a good thing? Um, but sometimes I think that that can be a, a challenge for them um, when looking at um, alternative careers. Yeah, can I can I just can I just add as well? Like, that is another thing I thought on this topic. It's it's probably you would have thought this would have been like an expected challenge, but it was actually not, and it really it did surprise me. It was the fact obviously I was studying whilst whilst I was still playing and I was playing in a pretty much a full-time league but I was studying full-time and I think a lot of people when I chose to do physio full-time they would be like you won't be able to do that like whilst playing football semi-professionally like in the national league like you won't you won't be able to travel and stay overnight and still study it's just not doable but it surprised me how easy not easy but like I, the communication with my, I went to University of Winchester, the, my communication with them was really clear. They were really understanding and wanted to help me be a physio, but they wanted me to play football as well. Um, so obviously I was really appreciative of that, but it was, I think that would surprise many people to hear is the fact that you can play, I, I think the National League is a really good level of football. So you can play that level of football and still study full time to be a physio. Obviously, you have to communicate well to university and some of the conversations are a little bit uh, are difficult um, to say, look, I'm going to be away on Friday night. Um, I can't um, I can't do this. But as long as you're open and um, you show willingness to, to be there and be current when you should be there, I think they're comfortable with that. And um, so, yeah, that, that was a nice surprise. Do you feel that puts quite a lot of people off, whether it's in the, the National League or, you know, the, the the top four divisions? Do you think that puts a lot of people off thinking, oh, well, that's going to be full time study. I can't play full time and study full time. Did that put you off or were you never kind of or did you never see that as a barrier and you were just kind yeah. of really focused on achieving the career that you wanted to do? And that barrier just wasn't going to get in the way. You were just going to work your way around it. Yeah, possibly. I think I think you are right. There's sometimes that like full time word whilst you are playing a, a good level of football could put people off. Um, but mine was kind of like I had I had to get through the course. So I came out full time football at 21. I had a year or two where I was scratching around and I wasn't comfortable with what I was doing. I was coaching the community and it wasn't I didn't feel like it was um, bringing out the best of me. I didn't feel like my skills were being used. I didn't feel like that was something that I wanted to do long term um, so I obviously I didn't fall into physio because I had previous things but I I did the course and I was like like I can't I had to I had to come through it I I, I had to and um, it wasn't because I went back into it when I was older I couldn't afford to 
um, not come through and achieve what I needed to achieve because obviously, again, things like um, I, I was 28 when I finished, so it's things like mortgage, things like that, like I needed to achieve and, and obviously still play football to earn the money that I needed to. So, yeah, I'd say it was more of like I had to. I didn't really, I had a choice, but I didn't feel like I had a choice. And what would you say, or has there been an example where you've had to say this to a, a teammate, an opposition player, or somebody you know within within football fraternity? We know it's a small world. Have you ever had to say, or what would you say to a player who's thinking, nah, I'd love to be a physio, but I, I can't do that. I can't play full-time and study full-time. What would you say to those people who are, are those players listening now who are thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to be physio, but there's just no yeah. way I could do both? Yeah, definitely. Just explore it. So, like, again, the, the... That's the thing where I, I really found my university were open to having those conversations with me. I made them clear. Um, I made it clear to them and was honest with them at the start that, that these are the things that I've got going on as well. Um, and they were really, really understanding. Um, and they said, look, we'll we'll do what we can if you do what you can. And I was I was open to that. Um, but yeah, I suppose, again, with a player, like if I was speaking to someone, I'd you probably want to touch more on like well what what else are you thinking there like what 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 does a career look like to you um after sport like what what thoughts have you been having and then sometimes the realization of the fact that okay like i haven't thought about too much it might push you more towards study so um yeah i i think if i was having a conversation yeah just having using open questions to get an understanding of why someone feels that way but I think like I say people are open to help um they really are but I think it's just um reaching out for that help I suppose that's where people like Maria come in and kind of Maria turning to you now and what work have you done to support academy players either previously currently to so that they've got a better understanding of what career options exist for them you know in terms of like Andreas, who may may or may not have thought ah, that's just not viable for me to be able to do that. How tell us a little bit more and kind of paint the picture of how you you're supporting academy players to to bring those kind of dreams, those aspirations to reality. Well, I think the NHS as a whole really understand that it needs to have a really diverse workforce. So people from multiple different backgrounds of different lived experiences, because actually they're the, that's the only way we can bring in different skills and knowledge. And we really want to make sure that our workforce is reflective of our community. Um, so you know, I think they're fully aware of that. So I think some of the work that we've been trying to do is, is kind of understand that kind of academy journey, that player journey. Um, and what one challenge that we did find um, with some of the um, academy players is that they had focused so much of their attention on having a football career that maybe they didn't allow themselves to have that opportunity to think about what else, what else am I interested in, what else would I like to do? And then maybe starting to feel a little bit lost and struggle to think, like, where do I go next? You know, what are my career options? So We've linked with um, a company called LAPS, Life After Professional Sport. Um, and really, we've been working with them about um, putting some information onto their website about different um, health careers, um, different courses that they can access, um, 
writing like having the qualifications that they need kind of clearly there if they haven't got the qualifications actually that that's fine because actually there's different qualifications to get you where you want to be but I think the kind of main thing that with, with, with that piece of work that we're doing is we've got kind of people like um, Andreas and, and some other people who used to play football but also some other sports with some tennis hockey and, and um, netball players in there as well who were professional sport people and now they have moved into a health career and they explain that journey that kind of step by step you know why did they have to leave their sporting career um how did they find podiatry or, or, or physio what interested them and actually that step by step you know did they do work experience did they approach the university what what kind of thing did the university say back to them how did they apply for the job once they had had, um, had got their qualifications um so that bit of work is is ongoing um and we've also started working with the league football education so myself and andreas and you might be able to come in and address and and with this bit but we're going into uh at the moment southeast and london football academies um again just trying to improve the awareness of ahp courses talking about them transferable skills that they've got um really just being there for any questions they they might have um and just kind of giving them that opportunity to have that time to kind of think about what could be next or even a dual career like you said andreas you know still playing you know, a professional football good level of football but also training to, to to have another career so there's no reason why you you know you, you can't have two two careers so that's yeah. the work we're yeah. doing at the moment yeah so go on andreas no, as I say, 100%. That's it. And that's when we have spoken to players, that, that's the big thing that I've tried to get across is um, just because you leave a professional club, it's not like you were there because you're a good player and there's other levels of football in this. This is this country is obviously amazing for the, the um, football pyramid. Like it's an amazing country to play football in. Um, and you you're obviously there because you're a good player you can still play to a really good level of football and that is that is your talent that is you are you're a talented footballer like you've got so much to to give like you i, I my recommendation is don't don't leave the game there's so many good things that that football can give you and obviously you're there because you're a good player so i think that's really important to to play some level of football be a part of of, of some like organized level of football because if you're coming out of a, of a of an academy in this in this country you're obviously going to be a good player um, and there's opportunities there for there for you within non-league obviously i had to build my career through non-league and um it's like it's been a, a constant challenge but like that's just the way i had to do but it was really important for me and speaking of that constant challenge is that part of the reward what's been the most rewarding part of your journey so far andres was it the beginning of knowing that you know maria mentioned it dual career you know rather than thinking of a plan b exit strategy call it what you will mm. was it the exciting bit that you were doing it alongside and it took a bit of pressure off your performances and things of what were you going through in your football career was it the middle yeah. or was it just the the thought of what could be in the future of going wow you know even if or when i stop playing football i know i've got this career ready to go into and i know i'm going to love it what what was the most rewarding part so far yeah i think that exactly so i was able to it did settle me down a little bit in terms of my football and i was able to really enjoy my football and sort of like um 
take things in a bit more. So like, if I remember like some of my favorite games I've played in, like within the National League on like the, say on BT, away to Wrexham, away to Notts County, like after COVID when the fans came back in and sort of like the euphoria that that was, that was all around football then. And think about the noise at some of the away grounds and things like that. Like that's all I've ever wanted. When I was growing up, that was all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to have the name on the back of my shirt. I wanted to play in front of thousands of people um and then potentially on television so i achieved that and and i but because i was studying as well and i knew the second part of my life and my career was going to be looked after and it was in a career that i was interested in i was honestly like i'd walk out and i'd i'd say to other lads i'd say look like take it in like um like we need to enjoy this um like it was it's not enjoyable when when you're losing and stuff but to, yeah I, I really did feel like i was able to take it in a lot more and recognize that that I was playing a good level of football um but like say the the next day or the next Monday like I was back in the hospital on a stroke unit um looking after people within the stroke ward so um yeah I did find that quite rewarding yeah it's quite grounded and I suppose perspective and I suppose for you as a as, a, as an athlete the identity we normally talk about and we have done many a times on the podcast of you know players just identifying purely as a player and putting everything into the game being obsessive straight away the fact that you're training you're studying towards another career while you're still playing almost kind of lessens the impact of or it kind of reduces that that identity piece doesn't it because overnight by you registering and enrolling on this course and having aspirations to be a physiotherapist you're identifying as more than just a footballer now straight away you're a footballer and a physiotherapist in training or you know a private physiotherapist an NHS one so it's interesting because straight away you've kind of probably taken that stigma away and that little bit of ball and chain with oh I don't really want to leave football because oh, I don't know what next well you did know what's what's next and you've been able yeah. to do that yeah I, I, I was quite Obviously, I came out of professional football fairly early, um, but I knew I knew I was quite I was very aware that like of the level of football. I always felt confident in my ability and like say the the, the upbringing that I had through the academy systems and stuff and the attributes I had. I was I was confident within myself. I obviously had some injuries and things and stuff like that that makes things more difficult when you're younger. But like I always knew and was confident in myself that I could get back to a good le- level of football and um, and that's be still a big part of my life um, but yeah I, I just it's maybe not something you even recognize at the time but when you look back and think like whilst I was doing this um, how did I perform like what would my coaches have said about my level of football at that time and they def- they all would have said like yeah like we saw a, a different player like we saw a player probably like with the shackles off a little bit and sometimes you, it's difficult to put your finger on what that was but like obviously the the broader thing was the fact yeah I, I did have another focus and it really helped and, and speaking of rewards back to you Maria on on this one and clearly the there's many rewards working for the NHS not just you know what you said you know you, you you're serving your community and you know the rewarding aspect you know Andreas has talked about then you know walking off a football pitch and then you know supporting and treating people who are in the stroke unit clearly that's rewarding um and obviously 
financially, you must be paying loads of money in big books like Chelsea do for football players because you've managed to entice Andreas back from private into <laughs> NHS practice. But jo- joking aside, Maria, what what are the the some of the rewards that some of our listeners probably won't be aware of and not think of and just think, oh, the NHS, oh, well, that's going to be like really low paid or it's really going to be quite hard work. It's overtime, it's long shifts, long days, long nights. What that's the picture the outsiders like myself probably get. But what's the real story? What are the rewards of working for and having a career within the NHS? Well, that is all true. It is um it is um long hours and and um and hard shifts, I'm afraid to say. But I think that <laughs> reward I think the reward definitely um outweighs um outweighs some of that hard work. But I think there's a couple of things really. I suppose one is there is um lots of support like Andreas mentioned about the the universities so again they can be very very flexible um with with the courses and um some of them uh courses are now parts of them are delivered virtually so again there's that more flexibility of actually you don't have to go into the classroom for for all of um the sessions so that can make it a bit easier to still carry on playing whilst um training to be um a physio or, or one of the other AHPs but also there's quite a lot of financial benefit in sense of the training. So we've got student loans, there's there's bursaries. Um, and also if um you're uh, if some of the players are PFA members, um there's um funding available there that can support them training through their courses, what some people aren't fully aware of. But I think working for the NHS, I think I think one of the main benefits is that your career isn't going to be static, you're not going to be a physio and just do the same thing day to day. There's so many training opportunities and developments that you can be training as, you know, an enhanced practitioner, an advanced practitioner, you can become a consultant, you can become a doctor. Um, and that training is is, is normally um, funded through the NHS and um, through the universities. And again, with them careers, it does, they're not all clinical. We think of the NHS and we think of, you know, physios or doctors of being purely clinical, but actually most of them have to take up a research role. So they're looking at clinical research and trials, what's working for patients, what's not working for patients. Education, so they're educating their, their team members, but some of them have dual careers where they work within university and, and, and train kind of our future workforce, but also work back in the hospital. And then you've got them kind of leadership and management roles. So I think that's one of the main benefits and kind of rewards of the NHS is that it's not that static career. It's that constant developing, changing different opportunities. There's not kind of one linear path, um, whatever kind of sparked your interest. Um, you can go down diff- different ave- different avenues. So quite a, a really fulfilled career can be offered with, within the NHS. Yeah, the, the research piece is really interesting and, and intriguing that bit because I think, yeah, from an outsider looking in, and I'm sure I can speak for quite a lot of the members of public who, you know, get a, a bad picture of the NHS and the fact of, like you said, it's that research piece will then just inform, I'm sure Andreas will agree, will just form inform their next practice, them improving as a physiotherapist or being able to work their way up into a more specific area of physiotherapy. So it's interesting that, you know, you that's encouraged and then the education piece as well. And it, like you said, it's not just clinical. I think a lot of us from the outside just think, Oof, yeah, you know, the, the training and I might have aspirations to be within that role and have that as a dual career and alternative career. But they probably think, Oof, yeah, but once I'm in, that's kind of 
not me for life, but yeah, that's me for the next 10, 20, 30 years as a career. So it's it's refreshing to hear that there's different different pathways, different opportunities. And yeah, the research and the educational piece will obviously appeal to, to certain individuals. Is that what appealed to you, Andres, in, in, in that regard? You know, what was what was the most surprising part of of your journey and and kind of the pathway that you went through were did that entice you the research and education piece of continue developing or was that something of a surprise to you once you got into the NHS and working as a physio yeah a little bit and, I, and that is again that is um the challenging side of it and how you unpick evidence and how you use that to obviously like um direct your practice is, is a big part of it um but yeah i think like i, I agree with maria the team element was really important for me um so i had say when i came out of the ball i i lost a bit of like structure and direction and obviously um i as soon as then you get back within the nhs the the team environment the people that you meet you have close support um and that was I found that really, really beneficial. Um, and like Maria said, you don't just stay, you're not just a physio. Like, um, obviously, a, a big passion of mine is obviously like transferable skills, like support of young players and things. And I've had opportunities to do that sort of thing since I was a physio. And um, so, yeah, I think um, there's really, really big opportunities and um, that say might people might not be aware of. And then kind of to finish off, what we normally do is we give our guests, so there's two of you, so we can split it between the two of you, but, you know, a lasting piece to to leave our listeners with. So, Maria, really for you, is there, you know, a lasting piece of advice you'd like to give our listeners to academy players or young professionals who are thinking about a career within the NHS but probably don't see that being for them because they've got some preconceived ideas Anything that you can say to smash those kind of preconceptions to pieces? I know we've spoken a lot about kind of NHS careers, haven't we, um, during the podcast. But like Andreas, many of the allied health professionals work um, privately or they work dually privately and NHS. And I would say if the academy players have, if their main passion is football, if, if that is the environment that they want to work in, there's no reason why when um, their football career comes to an end for whatever reason, that actually as a health professional, so as a physio, podiatrist, even a psychologist, you know, you can have the opportunity to still work in the football industry. So you can be working with players to support them, you know, so they can be functioning at their best of their, their ability. Um, so I think my main bit of advice would be really to speak to your rehab team, read through your and your sport science team within your academy and ask them about their roles and um, how they got into it, um, what they enjoy. And um, I'm sure they would be um, really keen to kind of give their advice um, to the players. Yeah, I mean, that's I've not thought about that. That's the obvious one in, in, in to, to say, isn't it, I suppose, in terms of. I'm sure Andreas probably tapped into some of the, the support staff that supported him during his football career. If those people are in the building, those people have done similar qualifications or a similar pathway, even just the same start point of going to university and having a bit of an interest in the medical side of, of sports science. And there's people there within the building who they can bounce ideas off, get advice from, or even just have an informal chat about, oh, I'm interested, I'm curious, I'm intrigued. What made you think that you wanted to do this job role and how did you start? How did you apply for university? So I think that's it's important and often probably 
I'm guilty of it of not maybe either understanding that, recognizing that, and, and conveying that to the academy players that I work with. Of there's people in within the building who will be able to face to face directly support you in in your application and just the thought process of doing it. And I suppose yeah. finishing off for you, Andreas, what you know your final kind of I know. Um, Maria started off with a pitch of selling the NHS, which she's done a very good job. So the pressure's on you now. But yeah. a, a lasting piece of advice for any players who are thinking about maybe not just physiotherapy, you can do it as just physiotherapy, mm-hmm. of a pitch to those people listening, thinking physiotherapy, that's the career for me. No, yeah, I think for me, just like um, quite broad, but just recognising the things you're good at. So like, I think again in football we're we're quite guilty of like because we do have that demand to improve all the time the the margins are quite small so there's lots of people like again like fans or like um sometimes it might be a coach but obviously i've supported but there's lots of people that are willing to tell you what you can't do um and i think like that's an important thing if we can try and recognize what we can do um obviously that that all our strengths and that makes us feel better about ourselves and I think in that early stage of like you say maybe going for an interview for a physio job or like going an interview for university the better you're feeling about yourself um, the more likely you are to get that position or to get that um, to get that job or first step into it and then obviously your career sort of falls into whatever way that looks like but yeah I think that initial looking back for me like I did get into a more of a downward spiral. I, I, there was a lot of negativity going on that affected obviously people around me. Um, so yeah, I, I think I wish that I could have sort of recognised my strengths a little bit more. Sometimes it comes through time, um, but yeah, I think like um, just recognising what you're good at, and then I think um, you'll you'll put yourself in a stronger position for a, a successful career hopefully in physio within the NHS but whatever you need to do that's a very valid point you just made there because yeah as a patient of the NHS previously we all Mm. think we know better don't we I'm sure you have it every single day Andreas of Mm. we've all consulted Dr Google and we know what's wrong with us and we come in and tell you how to do your job I suppose that's what you get from the sidelines don't you on every Saturday afternoon of uh yeah I'm guilty of that as well as a fan on the other side of the uh, of the advertising hoardings of telling you how to do your job better than, you know, and you probably think, yeah, I know how to do my job, just leave me to it and I'll get on with it. And I suppose that's the same in the job you do now as a physio. Yeah, I think, I think like, look, I think take my example, like I, um, again, I, I come out of football early and I was like, oh, like, I ain't got a qualification, what am I going to do? All my thoughts were that, it's like, oh, like, I, I haven't got this, I haven't got this, I haven't got this certificate. But the way, when I look back now, and I think obviously time you're able to reflect a lot more, it's like, no, I had 13 years at one of the best academies in the world. Like I, I played under this coach, I played under this manager, like who's at this club now. Um, I came back from this injury, I, I met these people, and it's like recognizing that helps you then obviously portray that to other people and then obviously you're more likely to impact those people rather than i mean you don't mean you've got to sell yourself at the end of the day um yeah um and that's a really important thing and that's what i struggled with at the start and but i think again through time that's something that um i've recognized but i think yeah it, it is a time thing but like think more awareness of it 
now can help um, definitely well selling yourself is what you've both done excellently um yeah from from maria starting off the the the, the episode in terms of pitching what the nhs can offer you know it's yeah it sounds amazing i wish i was a little bit younger and uh yeah be able to go back to university yet again to maybe change of career but it's never too late i suppose and yeah andreas you you've sold not just physiotherapy but working within you know both nhs and private and the fact that you can do it while you're still playing football that's the key message i think so you know a lot of our listeners need to hear because you'll know yourself i'm sure marie's come across it as well you know going into academies and supporting academy players that first of all they go oh, i can't do that or well that means me going to university i can't do university or well i, I want to mm-hmm. concentrate on playing well you can do you can concentrate on playing and also 100%. do this on the side so yeah that's that's a massive kind of tagline for for this episode and yeah i want to thank you both for your time um you know in in terms of giving back and i know you're you're both extremely busy people i know you're both passionate people as well and 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 you're doing some excellent work going into academies um to kind of showcase what you've come on here to do and, and and tell people that you know the nhs is a good career option from a football perspective it is possible so on behalf of our listeners thank you very much for your time Thank you as well. Thank you, Lee. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the podcast. You can find out more about this week's guest on their website and check out their social media platforms for more of what was discussed today all which you can find in the bio of this episode. Reach out and continue the conversation towards taking ownership of your own personal development and unlocking your potential on and off the pitch. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that follow button on our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as well as connect with us via LinkedIn to provide us with your feedback on this episode and suggest ones for in the future as well. As always, be sure to share this episode with your teammates, friends, parents, coaches, and whoever else you feel will benefit from this. Until next time, when we bring you another interview from the locker.